the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hi there. This is the Frank Sontag Show. Steve Arterburn filling in. My last day of filling in. Been a great uh, week for me and wonderful to be able to talk to all my great friends there in Southern California. I mentioned fires yesterday. Then I read about uh, Greenville, the whole city being burned down. And oh my goodness, we need to pray for those folks deeply need our prayers and stay safe if you see a fire coming and you think oh there's no way well think differently because it can happen to anyone anywhere so i was growing up in texas and um, they would typically say in our little town possum the other white meat it was a rural town very rural they'd say well you knew somebody's from ranger because they'd be lying through their tooth not a lot of dental hygiene going on there. This was a long time ago. So we moved to Bryan, and we were uh, in a church where there was a doctor of theology. So well-respected doctor of theology. And uh, right in the middle of uh, my adolescence, the, uh, the best friend of my mom dies. And um, he, Roy was his name, Roy... Um, he was, you would say, he was a definitely uh, an investor, a saver, and he left his wife, my mom's best friend, a lot of money. Well, during the uh, grieving process of the widow, um, Dr. Poss was his name, he, I guess he finds out about all this and lures her in. And and I, I don't think people fully realize the power that a pastor has over an individual. It is not fair. Uh, it is spiritual abuse whenever somebody is sucked in to some kind of unhealthy, uh, sordid relationship. And uh, so here he was married, married to my piano teacher. And all of a sudden, there's an announcement in church, that he's leaving the church. Well, behind the announcement was he was leaving his wife also. And he was leaving her to marry this woman who was now a new widow very quickly after the death of her husband. And um, that was my introduction to the sick and toxic faith practice of a pastor. And, of course, I've seen it over and over Again, Dave Stoop and I, we used to uh, consult with churches where the pastor had had just gone off the rails and having affairs or maybe was so angry and abusive to his staff that something had to be done. So this is nothing new to me. I wrote a book called Toxic Faith, Understanding and Overcoming This Problem of Spiritual Abuse. But sometimes that abuse turns into sexual abuse, spiritual abuse, sexual trauma. And today we're going to talk with a person 
that I so admire. And I'm really thrilled to get to talk with her. She wrote a book called The Secret Lies Within. I met her and her husband just uh, a few weeks ago at the National Religious Broadcasters meeting. And I was just overcome with compassion for them, respect for them. And uh, they're just the kind of people that make you feel like, well, you're the most important person in the room. Sweet, humble, and yet this woman, uh, this, this Ann Baylor, is, is the, the heart, soul, and mind behind Auntie Ann Pretzels. And she, I believe there are 1,900 of them. It's an international franchise. Very few people ever do that. And I just was so moved. And I said, you know, I've got this, this thing coming up here on KKLA. I would love to interview her. And uh, she's agreed to do that. And so that's what we're going to do. Uh, she's written another book, Overcome and Lead. And um, i got to tell you, uh, the people that endorse that are just absolutely fantastic, including John Maxwell. But I, I think that you're going to love this, but you're not going to you're not going to believe this story. Well, you'll believe it, but it's horrific. It's a horrific story. So let's see if uh, Anne is here. I'm hoping so, and so I'm going to find out. Anne, are you on? I, I hear everything that Stephen is saying, yes. <laughs> okay, great, Anne. Well, um, it was so great to get to meet you and, and your wonderful husband. And I want to do, um, th- do this in three parts, if I could. I want sure. to talk about how Auntie Anne started, and, and maybe that would inspire somebody else. Then I want to talk about uh, this horrific loss that you guys went through, and then uh, the the horrific treatment from a pastor that you received. And then the third thing would just be for you to encourage folks uh, toward the end who have been through anything like you've been through. So uh, to begin this journey, um, there was a little thing that I read where pretzels, your husband, the thought for helping people with Christian counsel or, or getting some kind of help all kind of blended together. Is that is that a, a, an accurate summary of how things got started? Yeah, that, that's true. Uh, I have to, to explain a little bit about that. So we believe that out of our pain, our purpose was formed. And before uh, Auntie Anne's, there was all this other that you mentioned about the pastor abuse. But out of all of that, uh, my husband became very interested in psychology because we survived the abuse. Our marriage survived. Uh, He became very interested in psychology, and he began to study with Dr. Richard Dobbins, who has uh, since passed away, but he studied out of Emerge Ministries in Akron, Ohio. Mm, Wonderful. And he received received a layman's uh, uh, degree for counseling, And uh, but it's because of our pain that he became passionate about that, began doing it as a free service, and then Auntie Anne's was created out of that because I wanted to go to work to support his passion. Hmm. And so you started making pretzels. Why pretzels, Anne? I'm just I'm just curious. Why pretzels? <laughs> okay, so my life is not like uh, um, I didn't plan a whole lot in my life that ever managed anything, and Auntie Anne yeah. can play those as well. 
And um, so I was working for someone that was making uh, hand-rolled pretzels. I was 40 at the time, first time I ever made a hand-rolled soft pretzel. I grew up in the Amish culture, and and soft pretzels are part of our culture, but I never uh, made a soft pretzel in my life until I was 40. Hmm. And uh, working for him for seven months, I had the opportunity to buy our own location. And when we bought that store, they happened to be selling soft pretzels as well. So that's why pretzels. We just happened to kind of uh, find ourselves in places where pretzels were being made. And um, and from there, I want to say the rest is history. <laughs> well, it's a great history. And, and I'm... Um... I was wondering when it was that you realized you had something that was bigger or more than just you making pretzels and succeeding at that. What what was it like or when was it? I mean, I've done some things and I remember just the overwhelming awareness. Oh, my goodness, this might become something here. But how about with you? Well, I, I think for starters, we knew from, from day one, from the first day that we started Auntie Anne's, that, that God created Auntie Anne's for a very specific purpose, and it was to be able to give financially uh, to people in need. And mm. so we did one store, and we developed a recipe, and again, that's uh, the way we developed the recipe was actually a mistake that we made, <laughs> and it turned out into this amazing soft puzzle. It's in one of my books, that story. And um, um, so word began to spread all over our area, Lancaster County area, and people would come from uh, from miles away, truly. Uh, they would come to this farmer's market, and they wanted to try Auntie Anne's pretzels. So we were really excited about it, and we thought, wow, okay, so God has truly, this is, hmm. this is an amazing uh, creation here. Hmm. And uh, we wanted to be really good stewards of it, and, and we wanted to maximize that one location and do the very best that we could because we did not have a business degree. We didn't have a business plan. We didn't even have any capital when we started. But as we, uh, as people came from all over the place and, and we began to have lines at our first store, like uh, we would sell, in two days, we would sell 4,000 pretzels. Oh, my and goodness. it was like non-stop from nine in the morning to nine at night, two, two days at a farmer's market. And um, so we began to realize, so people began to come to us and say, uh, we really want to sell pretzels somewhere. Like we want to take these pretzels to uh, the mini marts or to the baseball mm-hmm. game or wherever. And we kept saying no, because I said, if you take them there, they will not be fresh and hot anymore. So it was, I was, I was really, I was crazy about a good product and a fresh, yeah. hot, bone brown pretzel. And mm-hmm. so in July of that very so which was February of nineteen eighty eight, July of that same year, we had another opportunity. Some little Amish girl came to us and said, You really should take your pretzels to Harrisburg Farmers Market and I said, No, we're we're busy here, we're doing great, um, we're really not interested. And she honestly kept like posturing me and she kept telling me, You really need to go to this market because she said, I know that you would do other. So in July of that same year, we opened up our second location. So <laughs> Jonas and I are, again, lines began to form. We could not make the pretzels fast enough. It was oh unbelievable. And so Jonas and I, at that point, um, we realized uh, probably the end of that first year of 1988, people still kept asking us, can we do a, an Auntie Anne store? So finally, in January of 1989, 
my one brother, I said to him, listen, okay, if you want to do an Auntie Anne's uh, pretzel store, what do you mean by that? He said, well, it's simple. I want to use your name. I want to use your recipe, and I want you to help us build the store. And we're like, well, okay. So, well, okay, we can do that. Uh, make a very long story short, um, it was probably the third or fourth location that my husband said, and people continued, honestly, to keep coming to us, and we kept saying, I don't know. We don't know how to do this. So Jonas at one point said, "Hun, we really need to just get out of the way and just pursue this because I believe that God has something very big for us to do. Mm, mm. And I'm like, wow, okay. <laughs> so we kind of like stepped back, looked at what we had, and really just began to respond, Stephen, to the, the asks. You know, we began to mm-hmm. respond to that, right. which then led to 10 more stores in 1989. So wow. even then... I did an interview with the local paper, and they, it was just so exciting for us and for everyone. And, and they said, so how many, you know, how far do you think Antions uh, could go or is going to go? And I said, oh, my, I have no idea. We have 12 locations now, and, you know, maybe we'll do 50 locations at one point. And I laughed <laughs> about that because I thought there's, there's no plan here, and there's no way we could ever do that. So that's that's the short end of the yeah. question the short well, answer to the question well it's such a asked. great it's such a great answer because your motive was certainly to help others and and then you were surrendered and certainly Jonas uh understood the power of God saying let's just get out of the way and yeah. what what I'm curious yeah. about I mean you had you had great feedback but you know you were willing to to get out there and and work and and make it happen a lot of people uh, and have they have great ideas a yes. lot of people have great yes. ideas and they they start out um and but problems happen things and and then some of the greatest ideas never are sustained because of internal problems what do you think right. or what are a couple of reasons that it didn't all implode or fall apart or get to be too big. Can, can you help somebody that's trying to create something, make a difference, uh, not not fall into some trap? What did you do right that kept it going and growing in a healthy way? Wow. Well, I grew up in the Amish culture, and I feel like that when you go into business, you really have to know who you you really have to understand that if, as an entrepreneur, I didn't know this at the time, but mm-hmm. growing up in the Amish culture, I learned, Stephen, how to do a good job. My mom and dad expected us to do a good job. Mm. There were eight of us kids. There was teamwork on the farm. It was it was all about hard work and fun. Um, but what I learned there is one of the most important things that I realized. I took whatever what I learned as a kid. And I took all of that with me into the business of franchising. Mm -hmm. I did not have a formal education. I did not have a business plan. I had no capital, which I mentioned. But what I had was what I learned as a kid. And it's really, there are no shortcuts. I don't believe there are any shortcuts to success. And I feel like there are three things that that I learned as a kid. Number one, faith. In God, mm-hmm. right. and and um, confidence in myself as well, 
because my dad taught us to be confident by teaching us how to work mm-hmm. and to do a good job. Yeah. And number two, so faith and confidence in myself. And number three was perseverance. Perseverance, yes. I, I believe that anyone can start out, anyone can dream and start out with a great product and as an entrepreneur. But not everyone, like you just mentioned, is successful. Mm-hmm. And I believe that a successful entrepreneur is simply the one who will do what they don't feel like doing or what yes. others don't feel like doing, what right. others don't feel like doing. That, to me, is a very simple description of per- perseverance. You yeah. do what you don't feel like doing. Mm-hmm. And let me tell you, there were days on end. I mean, I found myself in this distance with almost 15 stores in a year and a half. Hmm. And there were many days that I honestly didn't feel like I had the energy. I didn't feel like moving forward. I didn't know where we were going to get a manufacturing plant. I didn't know how to put a training manual in place. (laughs) I didn't know how to do franchising. But I did. Perseverance will let you, will help you do what you don't feel like doing so well that's it's one of the things that i believe um in and we've we've talked about that at new life from the beginning and the way i phrased it was we will never stop dancing we are not getting off the dance floor because when you get off the dance floor (laughs) you're just sitting there and so we just you know every time we hit hit a a bump or a wall we just did exactly what you are talking about we persevered (laughs) through it. The other thing yes. that, you know, I've had people come to me uh, in the heyday of Women of Faith where 18,000 mm-hmm. people would come yeah. here, the, the women, they would say, I feel called to be one of your speakers. And then I would say, uh-huh. well, where where are you speaking? What, what are the results you're getting? And they would say, well, I'm not really speaking yet. And so I would say, well, you, you probably, if you want to be one of these speakers, you should speak somewhere. But the thing I'm getting at is you had feedback that you had something of value. You yes. didn't, you didn't yes. just make it up. You, you had mm. the accurate feedback. Or if you didn't, you could have changed the recipe or something. But right. I, I think it's important for people to know that you can't just have an idea. You need the idea to be received by folks if you're mm-hmm. going to succeed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, here's what I want to do. I want to stop right there, and um, I, I have to go to a break here in 60 seconds, and I'll do that. Okay. But when we come back, um, I want folks to hear uh, the story. I think it's one of the most uh, amazingly horrible, horrible stories of a pastor uh, taking someone at their most vulnerable point and abusing them, manipulating them, and um, and I think you're going to be shocked at how horrible the story is. And one of the heroes in this story you're going to hear is Anne's husband, Jonas. And I was so happy to, to meet him. He is truly a godly man. And, and when, I, when I met him, uh, Anne referred to him as her hero. So we'll do that when we come back. In the meantime, if you had a question, if you wanted to talk with us, there is a a line. We don't usually get a lot of calls, me doing this on KKLA, but you could call. It's 888-52-TALKS, 888-52-TALKS. That is the phone number to call. Steve Arterburn here. I'm usually on 
during midday with New Life Live, but happy to be here at Drive Time KKLA. We'll be back. Steve Artebernier, you usually hear me midday on New Life Live. You can always join us there. We are also on YouTube. You can see it there on the NRB uh, st- network. We're there also taking calls from folks with problems, issues, parenting, marriage, all sorts of things, and especially sexual integrity. And uh, that's what we're going to talk about now, or a lack of sexual integrity and Baylor is my guest. There are two books, and I, if I were you, I would just go over to Amazon right now and order them. One is The Secret Lies Within. Here's the subtitle. That's what we're going to talk about here. An Inside Out Look at Overcoming Trauma and Finding Purpose in the Pain. That's what Ann was talking about earlier. Purpose coming out of that pain. And then a more recent book, Overcome and Lead. If there was ever anybody that overcame something, and then used that and led. It's Ann Baylor. Two amazing books. And thank you for sharing this, the upside of all this, the success, the people that you've helped, uh, the support that you've given folks. But let's start with you being Amish. You were on a farm. You're, you were uh, married and uh, really a, a wonderful husband, Jonas, and you had a baby girl, and just take it from there and share with folks what you shared with me. Well, growing up in the Amish culture, I, I truly believe, Steve, that life is, is good, that is harsh, because nothing really bad ever happens to me. And I, um, I wanted to be above any channels in my life. I wanted to be a good girl, please my parents, and uh, please God. And what yeah. I know today... Um, seven decades over second seven decades of life experiences. I know that life is hard, but I know for yeah. sure that God is good. And let me tell you something about that. I am not confused about that anymore. Mm, <laughs> um, good. So James and I were both. I grew up in the Amish culture. He was a, a wonderful man. I was nineteen. He was twenty one. We got married, and uh, uh, our, our only dream was to have uh, our very own family, which is a common thing in the Amish culture. And I, I did I never had a career in mind, and um, he didn't either. So, you know, we, got, we were in love, got married, and um, had our two little girls, and we were living our dream, and, and we actually wanted a bunch of kids. And um, uh, we were very at a very exciting time. I was being a very good girl. I mean, I was, I was uh, pleasing God. I, I, I knew Christ, and uh, I had accepted him as a as a young girl, and uh, so I was uh, doing everything just right, you know, and my dad never even gave me a whipping, so I just, I was a pretty good girl in this of my life, and um, so, um, but uh, something happened that was so unexpected for us, and we were in the middle of this very thriving church and uh, ministering to young people, and and on a Monday morning, as uh, as my little, uh, we had two daughters, Luana and Angela. I call her my sweet Angie, and she made her little trek up to my mom's house for that morning. And uh, as I watched her go leave, that, I watched her leave from my front door. I was I went to the phone to call my mom. We didn't have phone, just a, a, a hundred feet or so from each other. And I called my mom, said I'm going to tell her Angie's on her way up. But as I put my hand on the phone and received that morning, I heard all these horrific screams. And um, I, I knew immediately in my heart, I knew as a mother that Angie was gone. Oh, my goodness. And I ran to the front door, 
And my dad was uh, running toward me across um, the yard, holding Angie and just uh, telling, just wailing. Um, Angie said, she said. And wow, so it's, that's tragedy, that's trauma. And, so uh, it, you know, what happened, sorry. Well, and, and it it was, uh, she was run over by a tractor, right? Oh, yes, yes. She was on her way to my mom's house. My sister uh, was hauling past my dad, and there was a barn between our two homes. And um, my sister was driving a tractor, which she did almost every morning, hauling sand. And when she backed up to uh, uh, to, to turn the tractor, when she looked forward, then to move forward, she saw Angie's lifeless body on the ground in front of her um, oh tractor. So the trauma of it was my sister uh, dealt with that for, for years and years. And uh, her and I were great friends. I never blamed her because I knew she was an accident. There was nothing inside of me that ever wanted to blame her. Sure. Um, that was never a thought because we were very close as sisters. And so I went from that, and as Angie that day uh, made her ascending to heaven, and that gave me, you know, some comfort, a little bit of comfort, you know, that I knew she was in heaven. But as she made her ascending to heaven, I made my slow and gradual descent into a world of confusion and spirit, a spiritual confusion and emotional pain. And yeah. I didn't understand. I was a good girl. I was doing, <laughs> I was pleasing my parents. I was trying to please God, and I was pleasing my husband, and I was okay, and, and I didn't understand. And so, you know, what we always do uh, when tragedy or trauma happens is we, you know, we the age-old question, why God? You know, why? Yeah, And right. so I lived in this place, and Jonas and I began to, um, so we were very tight-knit and very close, and had a great relationship, but uh, after Angie was killed, I began to go into this, uh, this silent, uh, isolated place uh, because I didn't feel like I could express my deep grief. Hmm. I, mean, I didn't know how to talk about what just happened. Well, did you, did you think, did you ever feel like uh, people were, were judging you that you weren't getting over this quick enough or anything like that no, that happens sometimes? No, no. Okay, good. I really was, I, I learned how to pretend that yeah. I was okay. I wanted, yeah. to, I, wanted to, to, I wanted people to see me as a strong person. Don't ask me where that comes from. I mean, I had my own ideas about that, but I really wanted to look like I have it all together. Isn't it mm-hmm. silly? I mean, it, it's ridiculous, but... But I began to pretend that I was great. So really, nobody knew um, my deep grief. My husband and I couldn't talk about it. And I began to just, uh, at night, instead of crying in bed with him, I would get up and I would go sleep on the couch because I didn't mm. want anyone to see uh, that I was crying, not even him. Yeah. And yeah. I, I don't, that's a whole other subject. But at a month of that, and about two or five months into it, uh, one night, I just simply begged God for, I, I need to talk with somebody. And the next Sunday at my at my church, my pastor came to me and said that uh, he would like for me to come and talk to me. And he said, I know that you're missing Angie, and um, I know that you need to talk, so come to me in my office uh, tomorrow morning. And so I was like, wow, wow, okay, this is great. You know, he wants to talk to me, and, and I don't know how to express my grief, but, but at least somebody invited me to talk to him. Yeah. So now, and then let me let let me ask you real quickly. You had heard nothing, no rumors about him or anything like that. No. Is that right? Oh no, 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 no. no. Mm-hmm. Now we called. I mean, our kids. I even hate status, and my kids. Everybody called him 
pastor. Like, like he was the grandfather to everybody. Oh, and wow. He was the pastor, but he was also uh, the grandfather to our children and many of the kids in, in church. Yeah. And so he was a very loving, kind, uh, you know, we thought, trusting man. And um, so when I went to his office and I began to talk, I was like, wow, I really do know how to talk about this. Uh, and I was very relieved that he even, you know, listened and cared. Yeah. But during the conversation, and he began to talk to me a little bit about Jonas and kind of uh, making me feel like Jonas, I guess I was telling him I, that Jonas and I couldn't connect. I don't remember, but I know that he told me that Jonas would never be able to meet my emotional and spiritual needs. Hmm. And uh, and I'm like, wow, wow, I guess you're right. You know, I don't know. I, I left his office, but before I left his office, um, he took advantage of me. And I, I have to tell you, I knew it wasn't okay, but I didn't understand mm-hmm. because in our church, we often hugging one another was part of the the congregation, and there was a lot of love. And we were no longer Amish; we were in a charismatic church now, mm-hmm. and uh, so we were. A very uh, kind and loving to one another. So we got up and and uh, he, but he took a trigger, then a hug, and I was I was like shocked. I'm like wow. Uh, and so when I left his office, and then he did tell me not to tell anyone. Mm. And I I knew it was wrong, but when I left his office, I realized, and I made I made a vow to myself that I would never ever tell anyone what he did, because nobody would believe me because everyone loves him. They would never believe yeah. what I'm saying. Right. And so in that moment, my voice was silent. My spirit began to die. But that secret, that one secret, that choice I made that day, Steve, um, took me into almost seven years of sexual abuse and abuse in every way. And I'm in church every Sunday, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night. I'm still pretending that everything is okay. Hmm. And for nearly seven years, I never breathed a word to anyone except he became my only support, my lifeline, mm-hmm. uh, even almost like he, he was my lifeline. And I know hmm. now, I understand it today, but back then I was so confused. I didn't understand what he was doing to me, actually <laughs> sexual abuse and abuse of power. I, yeah. I never had a book about it. I never heard the term. I didn't yeah. know, and I just thought that, that he and I were having an affair. And uh, But wow, how wrong I was. And I don't yeah. know where you need to take that from here, but seven years since now, I finally uh, was able then to uh, find the courage. One day, I was skin and bone. I was, I was pulling apart from the inside out. Hmm. I was a bad mom. I was in a silent marriage. I felt, I believed that I was unlovable. I was unchangeable. And I totally believed that I was unchangeable. Oh. And I knew and believed that Jonas knew he would leave me. I didn't mm. no doubt in my mind. Well, let me let me stop you there. I've, I've got to go to one of these uh, breaks. I want okay. to finish this story when we come back. Sure. But I think what you're expressing is what every every person who's abused is feeling confusion, not yes. knowing what's the truth yes. because they trust somebody that is abusing them. Steve Arterburn here with Ann Baylor. We'll be back right after this. Her book, it's an amazing one, The Secret Lies Within. We'll be back. Steve Arterburn, I'm back here with Ann Baylor. 
daughter killed in a tragic accident goes to the pastor. The pastor involves her in horrific uh, relationship. As I understand it, Anne, he actually raped you in a hotel room. Isn't that right? I mean, any kind of sex with yeah. you, you could say, was a form of yeah. of rape. Yeah. And and you you had the courage finally to get out of this, and your husband responded in a way that many husbands would not. He wanted to help. Can you tell us a little yeah. bit about his response there? Yes. So this is really the best part of my story, of course, Steve. Thank you. <laughs> uh, after the seven long years of, I call it my darkness of soul, and living in a place where I called, uh, like I felt like any day I was going to lose, lose crip and fall into the abyss never to return. It's a very, very, very dark place. And um, uh, one day, God just really was very clear with me and said, I want you to get up off your knees and stop praying about this, and I want you to go tell your husband. Well, I wanted to do everything but tell Jonas, you know, because I was scared to death. But, you know, uh, as I made that simple uh, confession, uh, I went to his body shop, and I I told him uh, in two sentences, because, again, I was scared to death, and I had nothing left inside of me to give. I was completely of the shell. And so as I began to make my two-sentence confession, I looked, at, I looked at his eyes. I mean, I looked in his face, and the look in his eyes was unlike anything I had ever seen in his eyes before, and it just penetrated my soul. And I realized he really is going to divorce me, and I, there, was, there wasn't a touch. We didn't hug. I didn't say, he didn't say, I forgive you. I didn't ask his forgiveness. I just told him the confession, and then I said to him, I'm sorry, and I'm a sorry person, and I walked away. And I walked home to my house. I mean, I, I drove back to my house that day, and I knew that when he comes back from work that he would uh, tell me to pack my bags and leave. And uh, when he came home hours later, he said, "Honey, we need to talk tonight after the girls are in bed. And then I was, uh, for sure, I was scared again that he didn't want to talk about it then. He said, well, wait till the kids are in bed. And uh, so I waited and waited, and finally we uh, began to talk. And uh, he said to me, "Hon, now I know, I know that you've... Um, been unhappy and i thought it was because of angie's death and he said uh i really do want you to be happy and he said um but promise me promise me that you won't leave me in the middle of the night with a note on our dresser he said but if you really want to go if you have to go away to find happiness then tell me about it and i will help you pack your bags and we'll find a place for you Wow. And if you have to go, then you have to take the girls with you because they need their mother. Wow. And let me tell you something. That moment when he said that, Steve, it was the spark. I want to say for the first time in seven years, something came to life in, in my soul again. Mm-hmm. And wow. I realized that he, in spite of all of this, he believed in me. And I began to, to weep at that time, and I just said to him, listen, I, I, I can't make you any promises, but I will promise you that I won't leave you in the middle of the night. And so that began our journey. And I'm going to say the James 5.16 model at that time is what I didn't realize it at the time, but James 5.16 says that if we confess our faults, right. our sins, our struggles, our failures, or whatever it is that we're dealing with, one to another. There's a time and place for prayer, but the one to another confession is to each other. And uh, when I was able to make that one to another confession to him, that that's the moment. 
that's that's the moment redemption began mm. in mm. our lives as a couple. Well, I and I can... Antiens was a part. Antiens was a part of that redemption, which we had no clue at that time. We were both broken, had no way of knowing how we were going to get through this. But God had a plan, and um, when I made that confession, uh, you know, when you make that confession, there's it, it connected us. And I love the line, alone we die, connected we live. But that day, when I made that very simple, hard confession, I felt life in my in my soul again. Hmm. I just, I love that because I tell people all the time, just finally revealing a secret yes. can take, you know, just most of the <laughs> it, power out of it. It's where God lives. He is light. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> he well, is light. When we bring our deeds into the light, that's when now, we can finally do something in our lives. Yes. Now, this respected minister, uh, surely this shattered any belief you had in a true and loving God. Is that Did it, did it destroy that, or how did it impact your um, relationship you know, with God? I have to say, you know, I, I believe because of... Because Jonas began to love me without words, yeah, um, with the love of Christ, which we found out. I found out much later what his his whole experience was during that time. But somehow, Steve, I I knew this. I didn't always. I loved always loved God. I didn't always trust Him mm. during this whole time. Yeah, but I. I knew that this was an act, this was an evil act of a man. And Jesus yeah. talks about wolves in sheep's clothing. And I, for some, somehow, Steve, I was able to understand that. Yeah. And my blame, thinking about blaming God, just kind of really went, I didn't, I didn't. During those dark years, there were times that I did. But in that moment, I began to understand this was not God's fault. <laughs> This was an evil man that made a choice to perpetrate me, my sisters, our daughter. Mm. Um, so I knew God had nothing to do with that. So God is in the restoration business. And Absolutely. somehow, and I believe that that was reinforced then, Steve, by my husband's almost, I want to call it supernatural response to what had happened to me. Mm. Well, so no, I did not blame God. And I had yes. trouble with pastors for a long time. Sure. But we continued to go to church somewhere. Like we mm-hmm. didn't go to the same church, but we we continued to to go to church, and we found a loving pastor and his wife that actually then became uh, they became the healers, the spiritual healers for Jonas and I. So mm. I know many people they take that route, and I truly understand that. I do understand that. But I was so desperate for Jesus, and I was so desperate for peace, and mm-hmm. I was I was so desperate for a life that was whole again. But I began to focus on that and what God could do for us, and and Jonas and my husband became the conduit. <laughs> and it's because of that I was able then to come back into a loving relationship mm. with my husband, well, uh, with God and Jesus, and our children. Well, Ann, let me say this. Uh, I'm all, you know, with, with our ministry, Every Man's Battle, dealing with men with problems with sexual integrity, yeah. I, I frequently tell people, hey, look, not all men uh, are involved in stuff like that. There's some really, really great men out there, and Jonas 
is one of them. And I only have um, a minute and 15 seconds. I just want to say this to you. I, I believe that you sharing this on this huge with this huge audience here uh, on KKLA is going to reach a lot of folks that maybe have become part of a, a relationship with a, a pastor. We yep. see it in the headlines yep. all the time that they will realize that they're not in an affair. They're having an affair right. done to them. And uh, yep. it is spiritual abuse. And I'm yep. I'm just praying that they will get a copy of your book, this one yep. that we've been talking about, The Secret Lies Within, and then yep. Overcome and Lead. And Baylor, yep. I can't wait to spend more time with you and Jonas. <laughs> and uh, God bless you for telling your Thank great you. story today. Wow. Mm. Thank you, Steve, for this time with you. I, I'm, I'm honored. Thank you so much, and God bless you. All right. We'll see you down the road. Well, um, I, I tell you, God is there for you. He doesn't prevent things, but he will be there through it all for you, no matter what. So lean on him. He loves you with everything he has. I just want to go over a few of the specifics of what we're doing at New Life. Got some great opportunities. And I told you about Every Man's Battle this Saturday. Well, it would be probably too late to sign up for that. But our Emotional Freedom work shop we've got more people signed up than we thought it's on august the 14th i'll be teaching that along with chris williams and others it's going to be a great one intimacy and marriage is one of the most fabulous things that we get to do because we see people that cannot stand each other they they think their marriage was a big mistake and we see them before it's all over with reconcile and restore it's just, it's miraculous to see what can happen on those weekends. And so if you're thinking of, well, I can't be in this marriage any longer, I would I would be sure and do everything possible before you got out of that marriage. And this is one of those things that could save it. It's October 15th. You could find out about it at kkla.com forward slash new life. You could call 1-800-NEW-LIFE. Restore is the workshop we do for women who are struggling because they've been betrayed by a man with a sexual integrity problem. And uh, that's November 12th through the 14th in Washington, D.C. Our Fearless Parenting Seminar, October the 2nd. It is going to be great, and you can find out all about that. Jim Burns, one of my guests this week, he's going to be part of it. You can find out about that, kkla.com forward slash new life. One of the things I'm most excited about, we do a life recovery conference every year. And if you have a friend who is in recovery but has never received a life recovery Bible, I mean, this Bible, Dave Stoop and I put it together, we found Bible scholars from Christian colleges, seminaries, great institutions, but they're all recovering. And so the notes really speak to folks in recovery. You'll love this Bible. We're doing the conference that centers around it September the 25th in Sioux Falls, Idaho. You can find out about that at kkla.com forward slash new life. Also, New Life has a counselor network all over the country, dozens of counselors that are committed to Christ right there in Southern California. You can find out about them at 1-800-NEW-LIFE. There are books. There are videos. There are workshops. There are people on the phone at 1-800-NEW-LIFE. I hope and pray 
that if you need some help, you'll call us and let us help you at 1-800-NEW-LIFE. Thank you for joining me this hour. Steve Arterburn here filling in for Frank Sontag, and uh, we'll take a break.